0: Hello and welcome to On the Battlefield with Father Michael Markantoni and me, Father Joseph Collins, where we are sharing the Christian message of hope and endurance amidst the sufferings and upheaval of life. Father Michael, won't you tell everyone where they can find us online and on social media?
1: Yes, thank you. Well, of course, we are on Anchor FM. You can find On the Battlefield Podcast on Anchor FM. That is our main hosting site, as well as Apple Podcasts and uh, Google Podcasts as well, and Spotify. Uh, On social media, you can find us on Facebook at On the Battlefield Podcast and on Instagram at and the Battlefield Podcast as well. Uh, We do, when episodes air... Of course, we share them out over social media, and we do share them out also over Orthodox Christian Network OCN's Facebook page. So, uh, lots of different opportunities to find us, listen, and to share.
0: Hey, man. That's, thank you, Father. Uh, lots of places to find us, lots of places to share and interact with us. Um, and today, we intend to share uh, some, some musings on uh, spiritual warfare. Uh, something that the scriptures and the writings of the fathers and other writings are replete with, and uh, like we like we had discussed when Father Damick was on, uh, this is something that many of us just kind of either relegate to the non-existent, or we focus on it so much that it becomes our only reality. But in in my life, and I'm sure and you'll tell me uh, your reflection, but in my life, I see that the demonic realm is very much real, that it's very much present. And maybe I'm a little bit more attuned to it today, which I don't think is true, but I see that they have become very aggressive um, with their work in my family in my own prayer life in the prayer life of my friends and my acquaintances. And, it's ugly, and I don't like seeing it, but hopefully today we can talk about some practical ways to to deal with them in our lives and how to deal with this oppression that surrounds us. What do you think? Well,
1: so uh, one of the, my biggest takeaways from that episode we did in uh, December back with Father uh, Damick, and I have been personally... Chewing on this over and over since then. Uh, my biggest takeaway was where he talked about the fact that he talked about nothing being spiritually neutral. And that was really kind of recalibrating for me because I tended to, I was tending to look towards things that were sort of explicitly spiritual, uh, kind of more run of the mill, day to day, and sort of neutral things that could go either way you know, like depending on how you use it. And it's, I I think there's a kernel of truth to that, right? Um, But as human beings, uh, as human beings uh, called to be God's very image and likeness, and that's a very priestly role here in this world, called to be God's image and likeness, his representative, his authority here on earth, Christ's very body. There really isn't anything that's spiritually neutral. He was so right. I mean, when we look at uh, the things we do, I mean, open up any Orthodox Christian manual of prayer, especially like old school ones. There's prayers for everything. There's prayers before you go to sleep. There's prayers before you eat. There's prayers before you leave the house. There's prayers before this and that. It's definitely something that is meant to uh, encompass and intertwine with the whole of our lives. And not only is that a better and much more holistic way of approaching the spiritual life, and by extension, spiritual warfare. It's also more honest. So, like I, I see what you're saying. Like I get it. I think in our times, we do feel like the contrary forces, the forces contrary to us as Orthodox Christians, uh, have been emboldened. Are a little bit more uh, 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 brash, you know. Are a little bit more open than we'd like them to be. But my caveat to that is, none of that space was ever really neutral to begin with. So it's like, well, I I think it has to do with us being more aware of it. I think I think the the juxtaposition, the the ah, uh, what's that word? The contrast is just so much clearer, and that's really where I think we see it, but if no space was spiritually neutral, then, n- then, then nothing ever was. And the problem was always there and the a- opposition was always there. And when we read through, it's really interesting. Like you read through the lives of the saints and you see this kind of theme come up. I mean, you read through like, uh, uh, Saint Ignatius, branch branch and I'm probably butchering that last name. Sorry. I am with the Greek church, not the Russian church. So I can pronounce Greek names much better than I can pronounce Russian names. But in any case um, for Saint. Ignatius Branchinov um, I mean in his day he talks about lawlessness and and the ascendance of, uh, of sin and evil and this and that but he lived in a period that we look back at and we say those are the good old days. We look back at that and say he lived uh, you know, in holy in Holy Orthodox Russia you know like we're looking back at that and go oh yeah it was way better well he didn't think so you know, so I think I think the saints, I think those who are attentive to the spiritual battle kind of always see it like that. Like it doesn't ever really feel like there's a downtime. I can't think of a single saint who looks at the world around him and says, okay, we can relax now. Like it's, it's not that bad. I just don't see that guy. And I, I think we want to do that because it would be very comforting. But so I, I see it. I see the boldness that you're talking about. And it's troubling. And I see... Kind of the, um, you know, I, I see I see that. I see the opposition. I see the boldness of the opposition. The part I question is whether or not it's really any more different. Maybe we're just more aware, you know?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I ask myself the same question, actually. I, I wonder if it's just my mind being tuned in a little bit more or if they're actually being more bold. But when I have that internal dialogue, I I tend to come down on the side that I am more aware, but there are people around me who are not aware. Uh, It's not something that they they think about consistently, and they just kind of live their lives, and they bring it up. It's like they'll say, Father, there's a darkness that I'm aware of, and I don't know what it is. There's a darkness in in our society right now that that seems to be overwhelming society and and doing so aggressively. So that that that's what gives me pause and and makes me question what it is that we're actually seeing and what what the sign of the time is. And that's not to go down some sort of uh, you know like something you'd see on the Seven Hundred Club on television. That's not what we're doing. It's not who we are, but. It does make me, it does make me wonder, um, you know.
1: Unless, of course, we have any seven hundred cub listeners who want to be a sponsor. In which case, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like, just a, no, uh, no. But uh, all joking aside, uh, all joking aside. I mean, I think that's, I think that's real. I think what you're looking at is when Christ speaks, when Christ speaks to His church and we look in the gospels he's the one who says be vigilant be on guard be aware um you'll see all these things happening but the end is not at once and you know so i i think what you're i think that in every generation you, you don't see really a a rest from the spiritual battle what you do see is, uh, you do see it come into the forefront, I think in different ways. And when those different ways take shape, they draw attention because of the contrast, like, oh, that didn't used to be a problem. Now it's a problem. Um, you know, so what I would say to that is that, uh, what I would say to that is that what makes people aware of it is that there's no way for us not to be. I think as as the enemy sort of draws attention to himself and as these sort of pernicious things draw attention to themselves, you know, remember what Christ says, you know, everything spoken in secret will be shown to the light you know so there the, the devil wants to work but there's no way for him to work without showing himself there's no way for him to work without showing his hand and because the grace of Christ is active in the world we're going to see it uh, there's always been a there's always been a human understanding of spiritual war even outside of the covenant with the most high god what's really interesting when you're looking at ancient mythologies across the world they all have a Most High God who made everything but then kind of goes remote, like they can't reach him anymore. But then there's always this conflict in the spiritual realm, and and we'll keep that really vague because it takes a lot of different forms depending on which ancient system you're looking at. But there's always this sense that things are potentially uh, in a state of turmoil. And I think as that turmoil ebbs and flows and increases you're going to see it. And and it's going to come to people's attention more. And when, for example, it decreases in certain areas, people find themselves more attentive in different ways. So for instance, uh, in the early Byzantine period, just prior to the Byzantine period and then early Byzantine period, you have the great days of the Desert Fathers. I mean, we're talking spiritually, this was a heyday. This was like the time of times, you know, the, the Orthodox world was completely united. Uh, you've got asceticism and monasticism flourishing in Egypt. And, you know, the tradition of the Jesus prayer and hesychasm, as we know it, are being fleshed out. Um, St. Pachomius's monastery, uh, you know, the, the rule of services that got drawn up in his day still it, 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 we, is still the basis for the way we do services now. I mean, and that's from the fourth century. Like it's, it, it wasn't written from scratch then, but the stuff that they put into place is still being used now. The prayer ropes that we carry as Orthodox Christian come from that era. So, well, what am I saying? Well, prior to that, if you read Henry Chadwick's History of the Church, right? Uh, prior to that, these sort of ascetic, charismatic individuals who led lives of focused prayer were known. To reside within the normal parish communities. Once you have the influx of the empire due to the legitimization of Christianity coming in, these same people felt like, oh, things are getting too cushy, things are getting too easy. We need to go out into the desert and practice and and live a focused ascetic life, and. You know, you can see echoes of that in a detail that we just take for granted. Like it seriously, if you think about it, right? Anthony goes out into the desert to become the father of hermits, right? And then suddenly, just like overnight, there's hundreds of people. There's hundreds of people populating uh the desert. They all know what's going on and they all know what to do. And they're already a system of eldership and they are there's already the these prayers that they all know. Like, why were there hundreds And hundreds of people just ready to go on what we think is a new idea. That doesn't make sense. Like, there's no new idea like that that just miraculously whole swaths of the population are in on with no mass communication, unless, of course, they were all drawing from the same commonwealth, unless, of course, they were all coming from that same pool of people within the parishes who said, things are getting too cushy, too easy, and we need to go Live spiritual warfare in the desert, and 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 then it start that 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 really co creates a coherent narrative. Why do I bring that up? Well, because in that era, the real shift within Christianity was the austere hardship of the Roman persecutions were lifted. Right, um, you no longer had to uh, hide out in the catacombs and do liturgy in cemeteries and where in caves and where no one could find you and you could stop doing that. Well, so with one battle lifted, with one ease, with one ceasefire, right? Or, or less firing, let's call it. With one ceasefire on one front, you, you get an increased warfare on the other. Now they're writing volumes and volumes about spiritual warfare within themselves. Now they're being more and more explicit, not that there wasn't talk of it before, but being more and more explicit about about really focusing in on the passions, the virtues, sin, confession, that stuff had already been there. But it's like, yeah, if we don't confront the darkness within ourselves, life around us could be pretty posh, but we wouldn't be Christians. And, And so I'm bringing that up to say that at every era within Christianity, there are times where, on one front, the battle sort of recedes, and where we run into danger is not recognizing where it's rearing an increased head elsewhere. And you're seeing these people come to you and say, "Hey, Father, um, something is amiss." Well, the Desert Fathers saw that too, because even though the Desert Fathers saw that too, because even though they were um yeah they went out into the desert but there were the all of these the, the populations were going out to see them like everyone said yeah you guys are onto something something is wrong something is off um give us a word father that we might follow what should i do advise me uh, and that's why our hymns to these same saints say you made the desert a city why because they would go out they'd found these these ascetic communities and then people would follow them and create a town around it you know and then they'd have to go a little farther into the desert um so I, I think what what you and I are looking at is we have in the course of our lifetime seen the battle recede on certain fronts but we're seeing it crop up on others and when it crops up on others that's going to draw people's attention um, and it's kind of like it's like sniper fire I mean, you don't know where a sniper is until people start getting picked off. But the minute the sniper starts picking people off, if he doesn't move, if he doesn't stop firing and move and relocate, he'll get taken out. They will draw a bead on his position. You know, snipers are very dangerous, but their weakness is when they have to break concealment. The devil's a sniper. You know, he, he wants to stay concealed. He wants to work behind the scenes. But in order to strike a blow, he's got to make himself seen. And when he does, that's where we have to draw a bead in on. say, okay, here's where we need to focus. So, you know, 100 years ago, the main battle may have looked like it was on this front. And that's receded in our time. But now it's cropped up over here. You know, uh, I mean, it, so... I. Uh, that's That's kind of how I'm think, that's kind of how I'm looking at that. What do you think?
0: It sounds like a spiritual game of whack-a-mole. I think, I think that that would be an accurate contrast, you know, to, to look at it as we got we got used to him being here and we, we became complacent and in our complacence, he was able to sprout up in in a different place more strongly because we weren't looking for him there; we were looking for him here, and now he's over there, and we have to we have to react because we fell asleep. It just reminds me of one of my favorite hymns from from the bridegroom services, and it's during the uh, the bridegroom services we we talk about ask it, We ask the Lord that our souls would stay awake. Right for this watchfulness, for this wakefulness, and this is what we have to do. But um, it's it's really it's unnerving when when we're shaken awake, and, and we see the devil acting in in ways that that we're uncomfortable with, and we have to and we have to rea- re- react. Either we just stay asleep and keep pretending he's not over there. We have to move and we have to re, re-engage with prayer. Um, you know, you said that you talked about Father Damick. One of the things that stood out the most to me from from our talk with him was, was twofold. And I was reminded of this. Recently, when a friend of mine called and asked me to pray and not to think that they are a madman, the person said to me, my prayer life has gotten weak. And I had a dream of a demon who, through my sister, uh, flailed and wailed and then revealed themselves to me in a very ugly form and seeks to destroy me. And wants to annihilate me and to crush my family. And Father Damick said something like that. He's like, we can ignore the demons, but they hate us. And they are malevolent. And they absolutely want you dead and destroyed and everything in your life dead and destroyed. And then that combines with the, the other human beings are not my enemy, and I think that's where some people are kind of getting confused right now. There's so much discord in our in our country and in our world that that we see that the demons are facilitating an awful lot of death. We see that they're facilitating a lack of unity. That they're facilitating just a lot of dis ease in our society, and instead of Seeing that it's them as the movers and people falling in line with them out of weakness, we we attack and we start to hate the other. We start to hate and attack other people, and that is not the way. The Orthodox Church is a church of communion, it is the church of repentance, it is the place of reconciliation. And if we, if we don't see in all of this discourse, if we don't uh, discord, forgive me, if we don't see in all of this discord, Christ and his goodness, we've completely lost our way. Okay. So so that's what I think.
1: Well, and I, I want to jump on, I want to jump on something there because I, I think especially and, and going with the theme of the Desert Fathers, going with the theme of spiritual warfare, um, I, I think... W- I think one of the mistakes we make, and and I I feel like I say it a lot. I feel like you kind of just said it. It's easy to do because we because we got to talk about things we can both look at. So one of the mistakes I think we make is we locate that battlefield externally primarily, right? We say, you know, I, I like you, the guy he says I had a dream where in the dream a demon was using my sister to, you know, do bad things, right? That, that was his dream. That was the dream he had. You can interpret it any way you want. Okay. But let's set, set that aside. And because the guy relating that dream, none of those things within that dream are necessarily within his element of control. Like, I, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know his sister, right? But you know, whatever she's gonna do with her life, she's gonna do with her life. And she's probably a nice lady who what for all I know. Um, and a dream, like we have no control over what we dream. But how about looking and saying, you know what, when I so when I get when I so how about looking at this? Rather than saying, man, I'm I'm in a really dark place right now. Uh, you know and we and we say, okay, so I'm feeling really bad and then I lash out at my family and I didn't control myself. Well, how about looking at that and saying, well, look, you know it, when I open the door to self-pity and resentment comes in, that gives an opportunity for the Diavolos, the devil, the one who whose name literally means to drive a wedge between two things, to rend asunder, to now start driving wedges between me and the other people in my life. And, you know, now their peace and their prayer is going to be disturbed. Like, could I really expect my my wife to be able to pray if I'm creating an atmosphere of tension and hostility in the house? Well, I mean, so where's the real where's the real battlefield in that situation? The real battlefield isn't my wife not being able to pray. And by the way, I'm not actually criticizing Presbytera. This is a for instance... But, you know, it's not saying like whether my, well, it's not my wife's habit of prayer. It's like, no, 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 no. What spiritual influence did I allow to push me in some direction that cha- that created an unprayerful atmosphere in the house, a- an atmosphere that was uh, incompatible with a spirit of prayer? So, I mean, like if you're looking and saying, if you're looking at saying, you know, like we, you, like if you were to look at just at that guy's dream and we might give him a pat answer, be like, well, pray for your sister, pray for your family. Well, that's all for stuff externally. Be like, well, how about be attentive to yourself in prayer and repentance so that when you deal with your sister, so that when you deal with your sister, the grace of Christ that you're showing her that you've cultivated in your own soul disarms any machination of the evil one mm-hmm. and, and protects and protects the people in your house. Like, I mean, you're looking and saying like, no, it's like these, 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 Uh, these foibles of character that we overlook within ourselves are not spiritually neutral. That's the big takeaway from that other part from that, the December podcast that we did. So it's like, well, when I allow my temper to get the better of me, when I criticize, when I gospel, I am opening a spiritual door that is not good to open. And that will, that will necessarily affect things around me and people around me. And, And so I think one, like, if we want to talk about spiritual warfare in the everyday life, you got to look at that. Because that's the stuff you could control. But that's, you know, you can't control, you can't control the other people, but you can control what they encounter when they come into your AO. That's your battleground. And if you've secured it and you've taken sovereignty over it with, you know, with, with the virtues of Christ, and the fruits of the spirit, then, you know, when the devil does endeavor to encroach on that territory, he's going to have a fight.
0: Yes, he will. And in all fairness to the person I was referencing, their, their takeaway from this very real visual dream of the demon was that, that I pray for them, So that their prayer life, which has become weak, not become weaker, Mm -hmm. that that their own faults that they have allowed and to use their own words, they said, I have become lazy, I have become forgetful, and I have failed to meet my obligations to the commandments of Jesus Christ in my own life and this this prayer this vision of the demon reminds me of that father pray that i can find repentance within my life so that he cannot tear me and my family apart
1: and i i
0: thought that this was a very very good response to that dream
1: yeah, and I, I would say, like I think, and I think the fathers would look at that in my opinion. I think that they would say, um, it sounds like Christ is working there. Because, you know, they would say that when when Christ does allow us to see something, um, you know, something of that magnitude and order, it's to lead us to repentance. It's to lead us towards him. And it sounds like his appraisal did that. So, I mean, I you know, I, I would agree. I think I think he took that the right way, the best way to take it. Um, And I would, I would be very, you know, I'd be very quick to say, okay, maybe, maybe Christ is doing something here. I I don't feel like I could say more than that, but I'd say it's entirely possible. Um, Where, where I, you know, one of the surest signs and the devil's tricky. So like one of the surest signs that, you know, one of the surest signs that something even seemingly good doesn't come from Christ is when, is when someone gets some sort of spiritual consolation, comfort, or at least it appears that way, but then they become proud and prideful and full of themselves and and no one can tell them anything. And like, all right, well, it doesn't sound like Christ was at work here. Now, I mean, again, you need a lot more discernment to say for sure, but it doesn't have the hallmarks of humility. Like when St. Simeon the Stylite, you know, went up onto the pillar for the first time and started doing monasticism on the pillar. You know, he, for, for everyone who's listening, the Stylites were a particular type of monk in Constantinople. And what they did, they couldn't get peace. They wanted They wanted solitude. They also wanted to be available to help people. So they lived in these urban areas and they would set up these enormous pillars, like really wide. And they would live up there. And you know, they'd have a rope and pulley system. People could send them up some food and water from time to time. And they'd have a rope and pulley system and they'd they'd live up, you know, a hundred feet up, fifty feet up, whatever, on top of this pillar and just lead lives of prayer. But people would come and ask them. People would come and, and ask them advice. Well, the you know, Saint Simeon, the first person to do that, um, in order to test, you know, to to discern if this was really a spiritual work of God. Uh, the uh, I believe it was the patriarch or or someone or the bishop. Someone came to him and said, "Come down from there and stop." And in humility, he came down and said, "Oh, listen." And he he handled it in humility, and he he was willing to be obedient to whatever his superior said. And they said, "Okay, you're you're showing the fruits of the spirit. Go back up onto your pillar and pray for us," you know. But there was no there was no grandiosity. And there was no self-centeredness. So I think when we look at it, it, you know, real, genuine spiritual consolation should lead us to humility and repentance. When it doesn't, we should be on guard. Uh, and as far as, you know, you said the spiritual game of whack-a-mole, remember what the scriptures say. The devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, things who go about roaming the earth to and fro don't stay still. Right? Uh, they, you no, know, they so, do not. Yeah, I mean, so you're you're looking, and going, yeah, okay, of course, you're 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 going to try to be duplicitous and and pop up in lots of different places and whatever. Uh, but ultimately, our appraisal of him, right in in Orthodoxy, is uh, Saint Paisios used to call the devil, and he was known for, as a great exorcist, and he was never ordained. He was just a, a monk. He was never ordained, and he was known as a great exorcist. He died in the 90s. And he used to call the devil Tangalaki, which means uh, like a nuisance. But he's dangerous, but you know the God on our side is way is way more dangerous. Like like we've got we've got superior firepower on our side. You're dangerous, but we have superior firepower in Christ. So it's it's and he was a World War Two vet, so he would appreciate that analogy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh- Interesting. Um, I, I lost my train of thought, but oh, I when you were saying that, I thought of, you know, we have that hymn that we sing during pentecost and and Easter. What God is so great is our God, who alone works great wonders. we we sing that and with such great fervor, it is a it is a very distinct reminder that our God, On the day of his presentation, when he was brought into the temple, and Simeon took him into his arms, that our God, as a 40-day-old child, reordered the world. That even as an infant, he established his new high priestly ministry in his temple. And the world awaited his taking the throne, which would happen just half of a half of a modern lifetime later that in the arms of Simeon was held the king of the universe. So we see in, in God's humility, his greatness, human beings struggle to have power. The devil struggles to have power, to wield power, to show that he's powerful. And in his lust for power, in his hubris, in his hatred, in his unending will and desire to kill, we see God's opposite. When we see men like the Stylites who are humble, who are kind, who are gentle, who are willing to be slandered, like we hear every time one of the major martyrs uh, and on, on certain days in the church, that reading from St. Paul, that when they're slandered and cut in two and treated like the scum of the earth, the world is not worthy of them. So when we see that, when we see humility and kindness and gentleness, we, we know that we are seeing our God and that these these demonic powers are just there to to hook us and get their meat hooks into us and drag us as far down the wrong path, hopefully keeping us there. Because as you and I have talked before, especially in the addiction episode, that what they want is to cut us off, to tear us asunder and to keep us alone and lonely and pretending and thinking that our suffering is unique. But the only way for us as especially as a Christian Church, the Orthodox Church, to overcome the demons and to see the power of Jesus Christ is to come together in the unity of the faith and to celebrate the divine liturgy of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ.
1: Absolutely, and you know, and to to go to your point, you know, because I like that we're 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 speaking now about like you know what what do we build up. You know when Jesus says to Matthew, "On this rock I will build my church; the gates of hell will not prevail against it." Well, I mean, you know, gates are a defensive measure, right? He's not saying the gates are the gates of hell aren't going to move on you. No, no, no. You are the church; you are moving on it, and these things aren't going to be able to stop you. Like these are their these are their defensive walls, and they can't hold you back. Like that's, that's the language. That's, that's what that is. And I, you know, growing up, I never heard that. I was an adult and a priest before I ever heard anyone mention that. And it was so true. You know, we we take this defensive posture. So, and that goes well because, you know, St. Portifidios is fond of saying that uh, we defeat evil, not by focusing on the evil, but rather by focusing on Christ, by becoming more like Christ. And that's how we route the foes of the enemy. So, you know, with that in mind, you know, with that in mind, um, where, what do we need to tend to? With that in mind, where, where do we need, where does our focus need to be? Um. And so, so I think, so I think one of those things, so if we're talking about this very real thing, like, let's, like, w- let's look at the flip side of what we we're discussing earlier. Like when we sin, in our relationships with others, when we've been short-tempered and less than kind, and uh, just difficult, and everything else, you can feel, right? You can feel the the atmosphere in the room change. You can feel things get a little more difficult. You can, you know, you want to pray, but you know, you just spent the whole dinner yelling at your family. So, you know, prayer is going to be difficult. And all that, but on the other hand, when we when we follow the commandments of Christ, when we do the things that the God that the gospel enjoins, we feel stronger. We 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 feel more able. Like the atmosphere is there, and if we choose to exercise a bit of ingratia, we can we can have that more often than we do ingratia, which is one of the fruits of the spirit. When Paul in Galatians talks about the fruits of the spirit, one of them is ingratia, and I dislike all of the English translations that list it as self-control, it's enkratau, okay? Enkratao. kratao is, is to have a hold or dominion, sovereignty over. enkratao. In other words, dominion or sovereignty over oneself, well, which means that we're not being yanked this way and that way by the passions. If we just exercise that a little more often, you know, like if we, we, we could have peace in our lives like we'd look and say like why am i going to let this take my sovereignty why am i going to let this temptation this uh you know uh, you know i want to gossip i would really love to share this information and that and i should give my sovereignty up op- over what why should i do that um when we when we actually when we actually live that way we can feel the grace of christ strengthen us to further good works um and that's why like read read psalm 118 in the Septuagint numbering. That's 119 in the Hebrew numbering. It is the longest psalm. It is the only Kathisma made up of an entire psalm. It's a it's 170, 180 176 verses, something like that. It's long, and reading it takes about 16 minutes, if you if you if you're interested. But over and over, that's it. it that's where we get the Evlogito Sikiri omatasu. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes and over and over throughout that psalm, the psalmist reminds the reader that it is by doing these statutes, by keeping the covenant in the everyday, by doing those things that we find wisdom, peace, life, so forth. That it's not it's not just knowing them, it's doing them. It's like for, you know, you may straighten my path for I walked in your statutes. I'm paraphrasing there, but it's like that, that kind of thing. Um, And when we do that, like we create that atmosphere. Um, There was a, uh, an exercise I gave to a young lady who herself is in recovery. um, And we were talking about telling the truth. And, you know, I told her, I said, listen, and I I got this from like, I can't remember where I got it from. I got it from like a a, a talk I listened to on YouTube. So I didn't even make it up. Won't take credit for it. But uh, I told her, I said, listen, you know, I said like lying weakens you. Like I said, listen, I'm like, go to your, go take something that you can pick up, you know, that's got enough heft to it that you can feel the weight, but, you know, should be easy for you to pick up, go in front of your bathroom mirror, tell four or five lies and pick it up. Then look into your, into the mirror again, tell the truth four or five times and pick it up again. And you'll see the second time it's lighter. Like that's the thing, you know, just even at a real basic level. Whether and that is not right. If we're taking seriously what we're saying today, and what Father Damick said to us, then just even those simple little small lies, it's not spiritually neutral. So how much how much do we drain ourselves of of contact with the grace of God and weaken ourselves? Likewise, by participating in truth, by participating in the commandments, we draw strength from the one who has all power and all sovereignty, for you draw strength from God Almighty. So it's it's a beautiful thing. And I think, it, I think if we start to look at it in these more proactive terms, um, it becomes a little more attractive and it becomes a little more actionable. Uh, the devil wants us hobbled. Sin has the effect of hobbling us. It's not that we don't have the tools and the framework. It's that we allow ourselves to be hobbled and it's very voluntary. Like we don't have to do it.
0: I like that word hobbled. I, having lived here in, in Wyoming now and seen cowboys actually hobble their horses so they don't take off, it it took a word that I understand and, uh, understand and have seen intellectually and it brought it into a very real uh, sphere. Uh, but anyway... Um, i thought the the verse in matthew 18 where jesus says when the son of man comes will he find faith on the earth and that triggered triggered a whole series of different thoughts on the word faith and how it should be understood uh, in english how it was understood in greek and how the jewish people understood it uh, having an idea of how the old how the people thought in the old testament is very very good for us. So, when Jesus says, will there be faith, we have to then ask, well, what does he mean by faith? And then you get the the verb pistevo in Greek. And if you look back, and pistevo, and then you go back, I forget the word in Hebrew, but these are transitive verbs. They have a direct object. They need to place that faith in another. And I think about two weeks ago, or maybe more—I don't remember. After the whole election saga of 2020, um, I, I was able to just anchor on Christ because I realized that at some point along the way, my faith in my in my context had become a, more anchored in politics and in personalities. Than it should be, that I had anchored th- the direct object of my personal faith was not God. And this you see over and over and over and over and on and on in the old testament. What God wants is the lens of my eye, and the you know, the apple of my eye, and the desire of my heart to be Him. He wants me to trust in him, even when things seem dire, like at the walls of Jericho, where he sent everybody home and a very small group of people blew trumpets and he destroyed the walls of the city, where, where Gideon overcame and overwhelmed, where David with a small army won, where David beat Goliath with a small stone as a young child. What God wants us to do is to turn the lens of our eye and the hope of our souls to him who is the pandocrator, to to use that word kratao again, the ruler, the sovereign over all. He wants our human souls to recognize in him that he is sovereign and that he will reign supreme over all obstacles if we set our trust in him. And what the demons want us to do is to turn and focus the lens of our eye on the world and to put our faith into systems and chariots and rulers and financial systems and our bank accounts and our life insurance policies, all of which diffuse and dilute our faith in the one true object of man's souls, which is our triune and all-omnipotent and unending God. And I think that summarizes what you said.
1: Yeah. I, I, I think Did I catch so, you and,
0: sleeping? <laughs> no, no,
1: and very well said. No, 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 very well said. So I started to talk, and I, I muted my mic so that it wouldn't get any background noise. And oh. then I realized, oh, I get hit unmute. If um, only we
0: could always mute our mics. Jeez. Uh, yeah. Geez. yeah. Uh, uh
1: No. But yeah, so I, I think there, you know, I, th- I think as we're talking about spiritual warfare, I think that's really the place I, I, I'd like to point people. So, like, looking at, um, you know, looking at just, you know, it's not the, 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 the religious, spiritual portion of your day isn't just, isn't just, did you say your prayers before the icons? It's also... You know, it's also, are you in fact taking every thought captive to Christ so that you could even maybe approach perhaps resembling something like the image and likeness of God to your coworkers who are going to see you? You know, I mean, you know, are you, and, and, and we can't overlook that because, the, you know, when you're looking at the Desert Fathers, when they talk about discernment of thoughts, they talk about demons. The uh St. John Cashin gives us a list of eight demons that war against the monks. If you if you open volume one of the Philokalia, there he has a list of eight demons that war against the monks, and for each one, he gives a long and detailed battle plan as to how to confront it. That is the list that under uh Pope Gregory the Great or Gregory the Alogos, he's a pre-schism pope seventh century um he's the one who turns that he truncates two of those into the one conflates two of those into one and creates the list of seven deadly sins well the list of seven deadly sins didn't start out as seven deadly sins it started out as saint john Casian's rundown of eight demons that war against the monks and how to fight them and you find that in volume one of the Philokalia.
0: so what is the Philokalia, father for those who don't know
1: okay so um, it is a multi-volume work of Orthodox spirituality um, it is primarily monastic and ascetical uh, that's I mean it's that's where it draws itself from so it's usually advised for people setting out to read it to read it with the guidance of their spiritual father because you know it's not the, it's not written towards people living in the suburbs. it's written towards you know 10th century, third century, 15th century folks living in monasteries. Um, so there I mean there's certainly but it's deep theology it is it is deep uncut orthodox theology and orthodox spirituality um and volume one starts out in the in the Egyptian desert that we mentioned earlier, the days of the desert fathers. I mean, that's how you can see like these guys aren't just creating this monastic endeavor out of thin air, like we mentioned earlier about the people going out into the desert because it's so systematic and so already well-defined just even at its very beginning. So, but yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thinking that will be seminal to all of the rest of the Orthodox spiritual work coming out. So like when they talk about thoughts, they're not spiritually neutral when they talk about the way that they handle things in their cell or the way they handle visitors, it's not spiritually neutral. That means like they really do consider it when they're showing hospitality. I am, uh, I am inviting Christ into my cell. When I do a good work, I am doing good work for Christ. And it's not like a platitude, like they mean it very literally. Um, and you know, on the converse with sin. So like, we ought to see. I think. I think that's really my challenge. I think that is that is my goal and my challenge for the listeners on this episode to start to look at their lives as having no spiritually neutral ground, and, and to go from there.
0: I, I would agree that that there is nothing spiritually spiritually neutral, and rather than focusing, uh, not rather than, but in order to win the spiritual battle in the day to day. Yes, we, we should be aware that we are in a spiritual battle. But in order to win that battle, the the focus of our soul and heart and mind and body has to be on Jesus Christ, the victor, because he is the one who is winning the victory. We do not have the power within ourselves alone to win the battle. He, he's our general. He is, he is the conqueror. Of all. So it's by our faith in him and placing ourselves into communion with other Christians and communion with him in the context of the liturgy that everything becomes spiritually, that we disengage from the, this idea of neutrality and engage and attack and aggress the devil through the Lord Jesus.
1: Yeah, and and uh, and Saint Theophon the Recluse, in his book *Unseen Warfare*, which is all about this very topic, um, he encourages the reader to to be bold in that because, you know, he's like, have have perfect faith that Christ wants to give you the victory even more than you want to obtain it. Like that's the thing. He's like, Christ wants you to win this fight even more than you want to win it. He just needs you to cooperate. And that's, I mean, you know, that, that's, it's pretty good news, you know, like he's not out there like w- wondering like, hmm, am I going to step in? He's like, no, no, no. He wants to step in. He's spoiling for this one. It's just a matter of like, are you going to listen? Uh, and if you are willing to cooperate with him, however imperfectly, there he is. And he's there whether or not you do, but you the, the help will be, um, swifter and more sure than even you can realize. And I think that's a good uh, take home for our people. Father, it has been, uh, as always, a joy uh, getting together with you and speaking on these things. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll touch this topic a little more, because I I think this is definitely one we could, uh, a well we could go back to quite a bit.
0: It's 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 a well that I think is not only one that we can go back to more often, but one that will help people who want to have Christ in their lives and to actually live and learn how to live the Christian life, will will find reward in by recognizing the that the scriptures are replete with this idea of a battle, but Jesus Christ, that God alone is the victor, and that he's given us all the tools and all the means to be on his side and to win. Amen. Um, and just, uh, this is on my heart, but the Philokalia, just to reinforce what Father Michael said, this is not a book that you pick up and read cover to cover. Oh. Uh, the people who, uh, St. Nicodemus, who uh, took all the component parts and and put it together, didn't put it together in a, in a way that you can pick it up and just read from cover to cover. It's intended to be gone through with a spiritual father, with a spiritual guide, and read out of, in a, in a specific order, but that order is not cover to cover.
1: No. Uh, I and- just
0: have to make that very plain. I, I've i read through the Philokalia with the guidance of an athenite monk. And there are orders that the monks use to walk through it, and you need a guide.
1: Yeah, I think a good attitude is the one that the Ethiopian eunuch has in the book of Acts, where he says, how can I know uh, unless someone teach me? So let's keep that attitude of humility and drive forward and do great things. Keep it simple. Christ is there, whether you know the complexities or not. Well, God bless you, Father. Will you go ahead and close us in prayer?
0: Lord Jesus Christ, our true God, we glorify, praise and honor your all holy and majestic name for having offered to us your sinful people repentance and joy and victory through your coming into the world as a baby at your at your birth, at Christmas, in your 40-day blessing in the temple with your own circumcision in the flesh, and your crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection, and ultimately your ascension and giving of the Holy Spirit, that we may find again victory in you, our great God and endless Savior, always, now, and forever, and unto the ages of ages. Amen. Father, don't forget to tell everybody where they can find us and keep up the the good work out there on the battlefield and engage us uh, on social media to give us ideas and topics to talk about.
1: Yes, do please leave your questions and comments. Uh, Like I said, once again, you can find us on social media on the Battlefield Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram, as well as Anchor FM, our main hosting site. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So, uh, set in your thoughts. We'll make this a dialogue, not a monologue, and we'll see you next time.
0: Kaboom. Thank you and be brave out there on the battlefield. Jesus Christ is our God.
1: Amen. God bless.